Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler, talking money and investing. Coming from the perspective of, well, not only we always talk about degree planners, but you know, it's not just enough just to be, I, well, it used to be all I said, CFE, Certified Financial Planner, certain Charter Financial Consultant, as long as you got those two designations, one of those two, it's, um, it's good enough. But you know, I am of the opinion that nowadays you actually have to have a lot more of the academic behind the investing information that you're actually sharing. Because so often when we deal with these colleges, for example, and the universities that teach on financial planning, uh, if you look at how they get their customers, if you look at how they get their students for these colleges, Many times it's somebody paying that is outside of the student. It would be the investment firm that they work for, paying for their education. So when I, and I'll just kind of tell you my story about this. So I, I worked for a big investment firm and they said, you know, Paul, you really need to go become a chartered financial consultant. Uh, that was the designation that they wanted. It's, you got certified financial planner. And then there are additional courses that make up the chartered financial consultant and that happen to be a lot more risk management oriented. Uh, but I'm, I'm really indifferent between the two of them. And that's not my point. But what I did is I went and became Life Underwriter Training Council Fellow and I chartered Life Underwriter. I wanted to learn more about risk management. Then I picked up Retirement Income Certified Professional was another designation. And then I went and become chartered uh, advisor for senior living was another one. An accredited asset management specialist was another designation and registered financial consultant and wealth management certified professional was very academic. That one happened to be very academic. So I, you don't see a lot of that out there. But the reason that I wanted the additional designations is because I just felt like each one, there just was more to know. And since I was primarily, you know, that was what I was focusing on as asset management. I really wanted the in-depth on that uh, because I thought that was super important. Well, what I found was that as I was going to school and the more I was learning, and I was actually going out and studying under guys like Gene Fama, University of Chicago, Ken French, the Dartmouth guy, and Rex Singfeld, and, and there were all these guys that were teaching on academics of investing. And I was finding that it conflicted with some, a lot of the things that I had learned going through the financial planning education. And I was like, well, wait a minute, that's not what, and then I started to realize that much of what I had been learning, you know, there were some of the academics in it, but a lot of the academic research was being glossed over or underemphasized because the groups that were sending these people, the students, myself included, to go get the education, get the financial planning degree, they were you know, concerned that the person would learn something that would tell them that the things that they were selling at the investment firm weren't necessarily good things to be selling. 
you know, so hence what happened is a lot of the information I was getting wasn't necessarily that great for an implementation stamp. And it didn't make as much sense as what I was learning from these academics. So, you know, if you hear things that sound a little bit different on this show, it is because of that. Uh, focus is a little bit different and proudly so. And that's one of the things that I spend years with any advisor that works with us. Spend years educating to make sure that they understand the academic side because that to me is key. And I say it's key, but you look at it in the in the research. Matter of fact, there was something I saw, oh, this week it was, oh, it was the Dalbar study that was done. And they were looking at the average investor return and how the gap had doubled during 2021. And when I say the gap had doubled, they look at the returns of investors and they look at the returns of mutual funds. Now you can look at the return of mutual fund and think, oh, that's the return of the investor they got, right? That's the mutual fund got that return. That was the return of the investor. And no, it's not. You know, if you look at how funds are used, not only by individual investors, but by also by the investing firms. You know, how many times have we talked about people bring in portfolios and we look at them and go, oh, no, not another real estate investment trust. Oh, my goodness. Now, I haven't seen one of those in a little while because they've done so poorly. But when they were doing well, people were recommending them. Then people got in them. And then once they got in them, they did poorly. And you think, well, wait a minute. That's not cool. <laughs> once you recommend it, the investment goes down south. And that was often what we heard all the time. Which is, you know, look at one, three, five, ten year track records. Look what's going on. Look at the trends in the marketplace. I was actually reading the disclosures for an investment firm, a local, big, big local investment firm. I was looking on their website. And I was raising their website. They were talking about how we use, you know, tactical asset allocation. We use fundamental analysis. We're looking at the companies and the fundamentals of the companies to determine which companies we ought to be investing, what we ought to be staying away from, and technical analysis. Is, and this is in their disclosures. Now, the vast majority of people reading that would go, well, of course, that's what I want the financial advisor to do. I want you to look at the company's fundamentals and the investment fundamentals and, and look at the companies before we invest in them, make sure that they're good, sound investments, things that we should be investing in. But what they don't recognize is the academic research shows that that's a big waste of time. That what fundamentals the companies have and what we know about is already factored into market prices. And what you're doing when you're looking at that information is you're assuming that whatever information that is out there is wrong and that we can buy the stock for this price and it's really worth more and we can make more money. And the research shows that when people engage in that process, they actually hurt returns. They don't help returns. You look at the pension studies that I talk about and Every time they engaged in that process, and the pension study was done in 1986 and another one done in 1991, it's been repeated since then. What they found is what they engaged in those processes, they hurt returns. And in, you can increase risk too. And you think about it, what is it, the worst thing you ought, you ought to do for an investor? Decrease returns and increase the risk. I mean, it's just, if you could set up something and say, hey, let's do something that really messes investors over. <laughs> Let's do those two things. 
And yet that was literally in their disclosures and say, here's what we do proudly. Here's what we do as an investment firm. So I'm telling you folks, read the ADV of the firm that you're working with. If they have an ADV, if you're working with a mutual fund company, you're not going to see that. You know, the, if you're going to, if you're working with a mutual fund company, read the prospectus. Now you may be out there saying, Paul, I'm not going to do either one of those things. Well, good. Just bring it to us. then. We'll read it for you and we'll show you what's going on. But I'm telling you, you could be doing yourself a huge disservice if you blindly trust the investment firm is going to do what is in your best interest and they're going to do some. Because, yeah, they may be saying, hey, we're a fiduciary. But the reality of it is they may only be a fiduciary in one capacity. Matter of fact, there was um, I was reading the bios of investment advisors uh, you know, it was, I don't even know why I, I got on this rabbit trail, but I was reading by, and there were CFA, certified financial planners. And no, oh, by the way, we also sell insurances. We also sell annuities. We also have all these conflicts of selling these products. And you go, well, wait a minute. When are they keeping my best interest first? And when are they keeping their own best interest first? Good question. You know, so that's one thing. And, and matter of fact, there was a question that came in that was related to that. Let me let me pull that up because somebody asked me a question. It says, "Hey, could you uh, could you comment on this?" And it was, "What do you think of this, please?" And it was about Babe Ruth earned three hundred thousand dollars in yearly retirement income during the Great Depression without stock market risk, and and you know that was you know, what was talked about in this article. And they says, you know, if you have a portfolio if of four, 500,000 and 2 million, grab your popcorn because, you know, as what I'm about to share, maybe just be able to, uh, maybe able to save you from the inevitable wrecking ball hurling towards your retirement portfolio in the next 12 to 24 months. Okay, so number one, first off, they're stepping out there and they are trying to predict the future. What's going to happen in the market in the next 12 to 24 months? Uh, Warren Buffett, hey, you need to sell everything in Berkshire Hathaway because you're gonna, you're gonna even, I don't care how smart you are, how successful you've been. Uh, Bill Gates, I don't care how successful you've been. Uh, you know, anybody that runs a company, I don't care how successful you've been, you're gonna get ruined because these guys that happen to be selling life insurance, by the way, let me just, you know, just the spoiler alert. These guys know exactly what's going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months, and you don't have a clue. I don't care how well you understand your companies, you just don't have a clue how bad it's going to be. And that's what they use, is they use fear to sell. You know, so they're talking about it all started back in 1923. Like many professional athletes, Babe Ruth was blowing through the Yankee salary like a drunken pirate, blah, 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 blah. And talking about he caught wind, he was going to... He, he met this personal financial advisor, and this guy changed his life. And, and in here, it goes through different people that owned whole life insurance and permanent life insurance. Well, back in those days, a lot of people did own life insurance. And the, the insurance companies, what they do is they're just an intermediary between where when you put your money in an insurance company, they reinvest it someplace, and they are going to take a cut between what you earn versus what those products pay. 
Okay, so they're an intermediary. So they're a go-between, so to speak. You know, you hear people talk about, you know, buying flooring and, you know, buy it direct from them instead of going through a, a middle person and all of that. Well, that's what an insurance company is, is a middle person. So right off the bat, you're going to get a cut in return because the insurance company and the commission that is involved in the insurance is going to take some of that return off the table. You know, so you keep that in mind. Now, what happened in, back in those days, you had, you know, when I worked for a big insurance company, you used to have these debit agents and they would go door to door and they would pick up premium. And, and it was kind of the norm that people bought life insurance policies. But what happened is that we started, the data started coming and we started realizing what a lousy investment it actually was. Horrible investment. But what happened is the insurance company would start to shift because people got wind of that it was a lousy investment. You know, people started to get the idea that, you know, buying life insurance as an investment isn't such a great deal. So what they did is they started doing what any self-respecting marketer would do. Change the name of it. <laughs> Instead of calling it life insurance, call it something, anything other than that. And what they called it here in this thing is the no-risk investment. That's real original. <laughs> no-risk investment. And they have this video. Why hasn't my financial advisor told me about this? You can earn 30 to 40 times more interest than a regular bank account. You want to make something look good compared to something that's really bad. <laughs> And really not a good investment for retirement. Well, you know, bank account, of course, you can have, it's a demand deposit. You can pull the money back out just like that. Life insurance is locked up. It's illiquid. The insurance company is buying longer term bonds. And therefore, the interest rate better be just a little bit higher because of the, those liquidity issues. Now, in the fine print, of course, they say that past performance, no guarantee of future results. So you could incur loss and, and you, know, you need to consider your objectives. So anything we say in here, anything we say, you know, the, the, the big print gives and the fine print takes away. And by the way, it says in here that uh, we're not fiduciaries. We don't have to keep your best interest first when we make all these recommendations and, and make all these promises. But the problem with life insurance as an investment is that you have insurance costs, the, the mortality costs inside the product. Now, with whole life, it's what we call it's what we call a bundled approach. And what that means by what I mean by a bundled approach is that we have the insurance costs. You don't really see the working parts of the life insurance policy. You don't really see what's going on. And what happens when you pay a premium, part of it's going for the life insurance cost and the unbundled approach, which is universal life, which is easier to see what's actually going on. If you look at the difference between whole life and universal life, not a big difference between the both permanent insurance policies, just one, you see the working parts, the other one you don't. And the, the, the universal life, you've got the insurance cost comes out of the premium. Then you have the money goes into the investment account. Now, it's variable life insurance, it's mutual funds and mutual fund type investments, I should say. They're not technically called mutual funds. They actually have mortality costs and, and higher expenses typically in those products, those, those mutual funds that are off to the side. I say typically, I can't remember a situation where I didn't see much, much higher expenses in the investments. But what happens is that 
that cost of life insurance as you age goes up and up and up and up. Well, so just when you get to the point when you're at retirement and you want to take this income from your investment portfolio, the life insurance cost is very, very high. The cash that you built up in the policy, which is literally whatever you paid into it that didn't go toward the life insurance when you were younger, the life insurance cost. Because remember, that's going to be an expense. It's going to be an additional expense. Then you have the mutual fund expense. And then you have, you know, mortality costs is, is part of that. And then what happens is that as time goes on, that expense goes up. And when you're at retirement and they talk about in here that it's tax free, because technically the way life insurance works is when you pull money out, you're getting back the premium that you paid first, which is tax free. Then you switch to loans. And they're talking about nobody knows about this. Hardly anybody. Why does your financial advisor not tell you about it? There are plenty of financial advisors that try to sell this stuff. There are plenty of them that do that. Well, what happens is you switch to loans. Now they're charging you interest. They credit some interest. There is some policies work differently on how they do this, but they credit back interest as if the money were still there because it's technically an advance on your death benefit. And because death benefits are tax-free, you can say that your distribution is tax-free for retirement income. Problem is, is if you run the policy down to zero and there's no cash left, you don't have anything to pay the life insurance premium that, remember, is still coming out. And then the policy lapses and then you get a big tax bill because any gain that you happen to have is now a taxable gain. Now, they didn't tell you that part in here. You know, you hear this stuff, well, you know, this person started this company on a loan from their life insurance policy. Guess what? You know, I was an insurance salesman and I took a loan on my policy to start my company too. But I'm not going to tell you that it's, risk, that it's where I invest now for my retirement. But that's what they they make you think that, oh, they had all their success because of because the cash you can if if it's there long enough. And a lot of times what happens after 10 years in a life insurance policy, your cash value isn't any more than what you put in. So it's not great. This is not that great. And if you look at the returns historically of these products, it's pretty abysmal. But yet they try to make it out to be this great thing. Why? Because it is one of the highest commission type vehicles out there to be sold by agents. It's one of the few areas that they can make a ton of money in commissions. Now, is it illegal? No. Well, they say, no, this is perfectly legal. No, they're right. It is. It's perfectly legal. It's perfectly legal and bad for you. <laughs> But that never stops them. Anyway, Paul Winkler, you are listening to the Investor Coaching Show right here on Super Talk. Yeah, so the answer to this person, do I know about it? Am I familiar with it? Absolutely. Run, don't walk. And they even talk about, do you qualify? Why do they say, do you qualify in this thing? Because you have to go through underwriting. That's why, and, but they don't call it life insurance anywhere in any of this stuff. Because they know that you're onto this. When you hear this, you go, oh, that's all that is. But that's not going to get you to sign up. They need to get in front of you to do the sales presentation. And if you know what it is, you probably won't ever show up. 
Hey guys, if you want specific advice for your unique situation, schedule a free 15-minute phone chat with one of our trusted advisors by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. We don't sell any products and our advisors don't make any commissions, so this isn't a sales call. We have a coaching process that helps you understand investing and relax about money. Don't put blind trust in anyone with your financial assets. We want to partner with you in the process so you know what you're doing and why. We manage assets on a fee-only basis, which means that when you do well, we do well, which aligns our interests with yours from the start. We also bring you into the financial planning process that gives you a clear plan so you can find the freedom to pursue your purpose. All our advisors are degreed planners too, with years of experience. So schedule a free 15-minute phone call with an advisor by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. Just finished talking a little bit about life insurance and one of the things we want to stay away from as an investment for retirement. Um, another thing, you know, that you'll see out there is structured notes. And this is something I, I was I was just perusing websites of financial firms just to see if people are still doing this stuff. And I want you to get that none of this stuff. You know, you know, is when I was a I was a degree planner. I was a degree planner, and we did this kind of stuff. I just didn't know that what I was doing was like really, really bad. Um, but you know, so I, I often I tell people you got to go deeper on these types of things. This is why, as an investor, I want you educated, because if you don't know these things then what happens is easy to take advantage of you. And the problem is, remember the study, the Yale, the, uh, excuse me, the Indiana University, the USC study that I talk about where investment advisors, professional investment advisors were making the same mistakes with their own money that they were making with clients' money. So I don't think that you can just blindly trust the investing industry. But there was this thing about, you know, structured notes that I was reading in the Securities and Exchange Commission gov and because i was looking at this site this investment firm and this is one of the things that they're doing and we see these in investment portfolios that people come in for analysis and i want you to look at this because this sounds really really attractive and sometimes what you've got to do is go to the securities exchange website to read about this stuff because their stance is buyer beware and i've talked to regulators before that's how they believe is buyer beware and their, their focus is that investment firms can sell whatever they want, but it is up to you, the investor, to read. And you hear it in the, in the commercials. You know, consider the firm's objectives, read the prospectus, read the disclosures, read all of these things. And how many of us don't do that? We don't listen to what the, the regulators say and actually go read this stuff. Now, one of the things that they say in the Securities and Exchange Commission website regarding structured notes is, and I read, this principal protection, that's what they're saying. We're going to, we've got, you know, complexity. You should take the time to understand the manner in which the return of the structure note is calculated. They tell you to do that. That's what the regulators want to make sure that you do. They're not writing this to the investment advisor. They're writing this to you fully understand the manner in which your return is calculated. Number one, that ought to be daunting that that's your responsibility, right? Market risk. Some structured notes provide for repayment of principal maturity. This often refer referred to as principal protection. 
Well, there right there is how they get you from a marketing perspective. You got principal protection. But they say that this principal protection is subject to the credit risk of the issuing institution. In other words, if that institution goes down, bye-bye money in English. For structured notes that do not offer principal protection, the performance of the linked asset or index may cause you to lose some or all your principal. But still, the principal protection is dependent upon the firm. If that firm goes under, bye-bye money. Keep that in mind. Uh, liquidity, your ability to trade, sell, or sell the structured notes in a secondary market. In other words, primary market is when you buy it. Secondary market is when you try to sell it to somebody else. Is often very limited as structured notes and other exchange-traded notes, known as ETNs, are not listed for trading on securities exchanges. Guess what? If you can't find somebody to buy it, you know, it's, well... Good luck. You got to find, and there are people that come and buy things like this for a song and a dance because they know you can't sell it anyplace else. Payoff structure. Structured notes may have complicated payoff structures that can make it difficult for you to accurately assess their value. So you look at your statement and go, what's my investment valued? I don't know. I can't calculate it. Payoff structures may be leveraged, inverse, inverse leverage. So you may have like loans and, and that's how people lost everything during the Great Depression is leverage. They would borrow money to buy stocks, which may, I'm continuing to read from, straight from here, which may result in larger returns or losses for you. As I often say, you can magnify the gains and losses. And many times it's the losses you end up with. You know, the gains are, yeah, you because know, you know, what happens is these things will promise the world. And from my experience in this, which is long, you know, those promises don't come to fruition. You should carefully read the prospectus, they say, for the structured note to fully understand it. Well, that's all good. They write it down. The, the regulators write it down. And I'm not faulting the regulators here. I'm faulting the financial advisors. They should know this stuff. They shouldn't be selling these types of things. Look at the ADVs. Look at the disclosures of these companies, these investment firms out there. Look at your statement to see if this stuff is in there. I'm shocked how often I do see this in somebody's investment portfolio and if you don't know how to find it like i said this is something that you know that we'd be more than glad to look at but they'll have participation rates you only participate in so much of the market move if the market goes up 20 percent, you get 10 percent of it well that sounds all well and good but the problem is you're getting you're knocking off the top side of the return which drops the return of the investment down to more something like you'd see in bonds with lots of risk. I don't want bond returns with lots of risk. Capped maximum returns is something else the Security Exchange Commission says here. In other words, they'll cap it. If the market goes up, you only get so much of the upside. Now, I'm not going to go on with that, but you know there there are things out there you can go like there's an article about why structured notes might not be right for you, 
talking all about this was written in Investopedia, where they walk through investment banks, they issue these things, debt obligations, embedded derivatives in their value of the derivatives derived from the underlying asset. Investment banks claim that structured notes offer asset diversification. That's what they do. That's how they sell you. They sell you on the idea, oh, you need to do this because it'll make you more diversified. Well, there's good diversification and there's bad diversification. It's like there's a good witch and there's a bad witch. <laughs> there's some diversification isn't such a great idea. You know, I don't want to diversify in some areas. There are some like mid cap stocks, for example. I'll see people own mid cap mutual funds. And mid caps, you got a problem with diversification. There's too much similar movement with other areas in the market. And somebody was telling me that, um, you know, that, that, they, they were saying that, that the investment firm was saying, we complicate things too much here. <laughs> I laughed when I heard that. You know, it's not complicated. It's actually more simplified. If you get into these products, you talk about complexity. There's complexity. And there's the Securities and Exchange Commission saying that it's stinking complex. It's way too complex. I'll never forget working for an investment firm. The guy that ran the firm confused the daylights. He was trying to confuse the daylights out of us as advisors. And we were looking glazed over because he made his presentation so complicated that it was a, it was a challenge to keep up with. I was barely keeping up with what he was saying. And he said, that's the glazed over look I want to see in your client's eyes because that makes them putty in your hands. That is not a compliment to say that it's oversimplified. You need to understand, and you can understand this stuff. If you don't understand this stuff, you are a mark for an investment person that probably doesn't understand it either, quite frankly, because they usually don't have that much experience. And after 35 years, I have hired and, and, and interviewed people with certified financial planner designations. And I've, I, me I remember many of an interview where somebody would come in and like, yeah, I'm a CFA. And I started asking them questions going, no, you can't work here. No. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not making you client facing. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't have certified financial planners that work in here that haven't been in the industry for a long time, but they are not making the end decisions. Because you have to have experience, in my humble opinion, because there are too many things out there like this that, quite frankly, the advisors don't even understand. So, okay, I'll get off my high horse, maybe. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you wanna learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. 
Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.